<laughs> then he looked at his young disciples that he had taken to lunch and said, See, boys, that's how you handle Jezebel. <clears throat> Father, we love him. We're so grateful for him. Open our ears to hear the word you have given him in our heart to receive it today. Let his words be yours, his thoughts be yours, that we'll be blessed in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. <laughs> See, I don't even have to do no icebreaker or nothing in my sermon today because he just broke the ice. Yep. Man, why don't you guys turn me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3 as we jump into part 10 of a sermon series we're calling Grace Unhindered. So we're going to be in two different parts of Scripture today. The first one is going to be Romans chapter 3, and that's going to be our setup for today. But we're going to be going through the story, going verse by verse in Acts chapter 15. So you can have two different bookmarks for that. So we'll start in Romans chapter 3. Man, I love Pastor Don, man. There's nobody like Pastor Don in this whole wide world, man. <laughs> I love his heart, man, just to allow myself, uh, Eli, Colton, and Devin to be a part of this sermon series. It's an honor. So thank you guys so much and the eldership team uh, for also uh, allowing us to be a part of this. It's such a blessing, such a blessing. We, we are so blessed and excited. And not only Pastor Don, but this whole church family, you know, every role in this church family is important. Every young person that opens up their hands and say, hey, I'm ready to serve, that is just as important for someone else in the, in the, in the body of believers who has been through it and says, hey, let me teach you something. You want to serve? Let me show you how it's done. You need some advice? Let me give you some wisdom. So I just want to encourage everyone else in this room as well that every role in this church family is vital to building the kingdom of God. Amen? So if you guys are there, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, we're going to be going to verse 24. So this section of Scripture is talking about the righteousness of God through faith. Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all, everyone say all, who believe. For there is no distinction, everyone say no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the word. I pray, Lord, that you speak to us through your word that is all powerful and mighty. Holy Spirit, we invite you in this place to come right now. God, let me be an obedient vessel to what you have to say to your people today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Before we jump into this, into this sermon about being commissioned for grace, there's been something that the Lord has been just pressing on my heart lately. Just some, I just want to encourage you guys with something that God's been speaking to me. And it's simple. Be excited about the things of God. That's it. Be excited about what God is doing. We have so many reasons to be excited this morning. We have so many reasons to have joy, to celebrate, and to just go crazy because God is so good. 
Let me ask you something. By a show of hands, raise your hand if you have a favorite sports team. Right? Maybe it's U of M, MSU. Maybe you're spirit-filled like me and you like Notre Dame. Whoever it is, whoever it is, we all have a different favorite sports team, don't we? Maybe it's not a sports team. Maybe you have a, a favorite music artist, right, that you're going to drive three hours to go to Chicago, Detroit, or Indianapolis. You're going to drive all the way down there to go to a, a, a concert, right? You're going to drive all the way to Ann Arbor to the big house to go watch uh, the Wolverines play, right? And when you're at those games, if your team scores a touchdown, what's you going to do? Yeah, you're going to go crazy. You're going to stand up. You're going to give somebody a high five. You're going to go crazy. And now when I look at, when I'm at a football game, a soccer game, when I'm looking around in the stadium, I see everybody going crazy. Introverts, extroverts, shy people, outgoing people. And then I also look around, they're all going crazy. And it doesn't matter if they had a terrible week or an amazing week. They're excited about what's going on in the room. And then it's crazy how we can be so excited about a football team. Come on, somebody. But then when we come to church, we allow that terrible week. Come on. We allow our personality to take over instead of pressing in and being excited about what's going on in the house of the Lord. Because, yes, those football teams are awesome. They're amazing. But those football teams didn't save me from addiction. Those football teams didn't set me free from depression. So I want to be excited about what God is doing in my life. Man, when I look at Blake over here leading us into worship, I get excited. There were doctors that say that he couldn't stand, he couldn't walk. But here he is leading us into worship. That's something to be excited about. So I just need to find somebody in this room who's also excited about the things of God. Because when we walk out those doors, church, they're going to give us 1,001 reasons to complain, to be frustrated, to be annoyed. But when I walk in the presence of God, I have more than enough reasons to shout and to rejoice and to be grateful that God is for me. Amen? So this is a place of joy. This is a place of excitement. And I get especially excited about the grace of God. We don't deserve his grace, church. We don't deserve his mercy, but he still gives it to us. You know, I want to start with this statement. The church is most appealing and effective when the message of grace is most apparent. Now, for my numbers, people, I wanted to give us some stats to show where is the church of God in the United States today. So according to Church Track and Gallup, 20% of Americans attend church every week. 41% attend church once a month. 57% don't go to church at all. And you think those numbers are crazy. They're also saying that church attendance is decreasing by the week. Approximately 3,500 people leave church every day. That's at a rate of 1.2 million people walking away from church every year. Millions of people walking away from church every, every year. Now, from these numbers, we can see that attending church really isn't a popular trend these days. It seems that leaving church is more popular. 
And that breaks my heart. Now, when you think about, you know, maybe there's somebody in your life that doesn't go to church, right? We're doing this invite campaign, invite someone to church, invite someone to church. Man, usually, have you ever noticed that when you invite someone to church or you ask someone why they don't go to church, they rarely give you a theological reason. Sometimes they do, but more more than any other reason, they say stuff like, I just don't have time. Me and my family, we just don't feel welcomed. We don't like the sermon or the worship style. We just haven't found a church that is right for us. That's, that's things that I hear. So most Americans that don't attend church, they don't attend for reasons that have nothing to do with God. If we really think about it. Most, most people don't have a problem with God. They just have a problem with going to church. And it's really not a lack of commitment either because people are committed to a lot of things. They're just not committed to church. So if people are not committed to church and it's not because of God, there must be something standing in between them and God that's keeping them from church. And I want to talk about that today. How as believers, we're commissioned for grace. Jesus went out of his way to introduce his Father's grace to those who were far from God and were excluded from religious life. And he commanded the disciples to do the same thing in the Great Commission, in the end of Matthew, chapter 28. Go out, build disciples, baptize them. So as he prepared, as prepared as they should have been for it, it came as a surprise to them. Because throughout Jesus' ministry, what was Jesus talking about? The kingdom. Right? Establishing the kingdom. He spoke of the kingdom of God. He spoke of the kingdom of heaven. But as a consequence, his followers were expecting him to establish a kingdom on this earth. In the beginning of Acts, before he ascends up to heaven, the disciples are asking Jesus, hey, so what's the plan? You talking about this kingdom, you just rose from the grave. Now's the perfect time to take over Rome. But instead of establishing a kingdom, Jesus had a plan, another plan, and that was to start the church, a place of gathering with a specific purpose. And just see how God works today. Thaddeus had no idea what verses I was going to bring up today. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, look at what Jesus says right here. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And where is that? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was Jesus' command to his disciples. The church was established by Jesus as the vehicle for delivering the message of grace to the ends of the earth. Think about it. Jesus asked us to be intentional about taking his message to non-religious people. Jesus believed that this message was multicultural and multi-generational. This was a people for all nations. So if the church is God's primary vehicle for dispensing the message of grace, then the local church is clearly not for church people, it's for everybody. Don't get it twisted. I love coming to church. I love being a believer in the body. 
But this place isn't for church people. It's for everybody. Let me prove it to you. We just read a verse, Jesus' words, red letters. If church was for church people and nobody else, Jesus would have said, go and be my witnesses in the synagogue. Go and be my witnesses only in the places where they have churches. But now, what did Jesus say? To all the nations, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That means the disciples had to strap their boots on and become pioneers and to go to places where the gospel was never heard, to go to the unreached and share them the gospel. He's called us to do the same today. The church is for everybody. Everyone still needs forgiveness. Everyone still needs grace. And if Jesus, he had, I don't know if you've seen, but Jesus didn't come back yet. So that means the church got some work to do. There's some souls out there that need to be saved. There's some lives that still need to be transformed, that still need to be changed. That's why we're doing this. When grace is no longer front and center in the message of the church, something unhealthy becomes the focus. I'm going to just let that sit. Because when I read that, I was like, Jesus, help me. What is our focus? And especially being a part of the pastoral staff here at Firm, this was convicting. What is my main focus? What is your main focus being a believer? As a whole church, what is our focus? So today we're going to read about some of the first tensions of grace in the body of believers. You know, because obviously we have no tension or problems these days, so we only find it in the scriptures. So that's, <laughs> that's what we're going to read about today. Some of the first tensions of grace. So Acts tells us that things got off to a great start, right? So we just read Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus ascends up to heaven, but then days later he descends the Spirit of God into the disciples, into thousands of people. That day thousands of people got saved. The entire region was alive with stories of the miracle working power of God. But then something unexpected happened. The Gentiles started believing in Jesus, and they wanted to join. Now, whenever you read scripture and you see the word Gentiles, it simply means someone who isn't Jewish. So now we have non-Jews getting saved, getting on fire for Jesus. But the Jewish Christians, they weren't ready for this because Jesus was their Messiah. Nobody else's. But shout out to the apostles, though. They're just being obedient. They were like, okay, he said, he said it's for everybody, so we're going to preach to everybody. He said it's for all nations, so we're going to go to the nations. They were just being obedient. I love it. And simply being obedient, we see the Spirit of God coming and touching everybody. But this didn't sit well with the traditionally minded. Because the Gentile believers brought their Gentile customs, their habits, and values right along with them. And this was highly offensive to the Jews. The Gentiles, they knew nothing about the Jewish ceremonies or anything. What a mess. So the only answer that would make sense is to have these Gentiles become Jews. That's the answer. Now, if becoming a Jew was just about learning scripture and Hebrew theology, it's not as terrible as you think. It wouldn't have been a big deal. 
But for men, it meant more. Y'all remember Elijah's, Elijah's sermon a couple weeks ago? So in, in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I, I'm on a timer. I don't have the time to go into detail what circumcision means, but I just need to take a moment to praise God for his grace and not the law. Man. So bottom line, all is to say, the standard that the Jews were placing on the Gentiles was too high. It was too high. It was hard enough for Jews who had been raising it to follow the law of Moses. Imagine the struggle of someone who had no idea. It'd be impossible. If all of this was a precursor to following Jesus, who could do it? But in spite of the tension, we see the church continue to grow. We see the apostles continue to be obedient, and we see the gospel continue to go out to the ends of the earth. The message of Jesus was very effective in different cities, but specifically in the city of Antioch. Now, fun fact, in the city of Antioch, this was the first place the term Christian was used for the followers of Jesus. So, fun Bible fact, um, up until Acts chapter 11, Christians weren't called Christians, they were called followers of the way, meaning followers of Jesus. And to be honest, I really like that because it signifies who you follow, right? Who you give your life to, followers of the way. So eventually news got, news got back to Jerusalem that Gentiles were getting saved without considering becoming Jewish and doing all of the Jewish things. The traditional people were not happy about this and they appointed a committee to go to Antioch and set them straight, which of course could only make things worse. And as disturbing as circumcision may be, and to think about, there was something below the surface that was worse, that made the, decision, the, the situation worse, and that was by insisting that non-Jews become Jews, they were diluting the essence of Jesus' message. Think about it. They challenged their genuine salvation because they did not meet the legalistic requirements. Let me say that one more time. This is what religion does, church. It challenges genuine salvation because it does not meet legalistic requirements. And this is what we see going on. And now salvation was no longer a gift. It was something you worked for and earned. I don't know if you noticed, but Acts chapter 15 sounds a little similar to the year 2023. I don't know if you ever experienced the church in today's age, but it sounds very similar to the tensions they were facing, doesn't it? Saying that salvation isn't something you receive, but it's something that you got to earn and work for, right? Jesus trying to come and change people's lives, but legalism just has to come right in between. This kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? And the thing is, it just as it happened here, it happens today. As soon as we add something to the grace of God, the finished work of the cross becomes irrelevant. What Jesus did on that cross, that sacrifice, it becomes irrelevant. 
as soon as we add something to grace. Because what were the, what were the Jewish people saying? Oh, you say you found Jesus? You said you got saved? You said the blood of Jesus heals you? Now you got to become Jewish. My question to them would be, what about Jesus? What about what he did? But then I'm walking with the Lord today, and sometimes I hear these type of things like, oh, you, you saved? Well, you got to be part of this denomination to be saved. What about the cross? Oh, cool, you, you, you got saved? You want to you wanna be plugged into a church? Well, make sure you listen to worship music like this. What about Jesus? Sometimes with what me and Taylor and Kay Diamond, some things that we do, we get some comments sometimes on Instagram saying, this ain't of God at all. What about Jesus? What about what he did? In the music videos that they're demonizing happened 10 minutes after teenagers worshiped Jesus for two hours. What about Jesus? Here's a big one. Oh, you say you got saved. Have you gotten baptized, though? Because unless you're not baptized, you can't be saved. If you hear that, that isn't biblical. Because baptism isn't an issue of I'm needing salvation to get baptized. Baptism is a public declaration that I already have salvation, that Jesus already changed my life. Now I want to let the whole world know and publicly declare that I am a son, I am a daughter of God. That's what baptism is. Now, I don't want to go into detail because I want to save that for my friends who are getting baptized in a couple weeks. Just a plug for baptism class. We're going to be talking about it next Sunday morning during the Sunday school hour. If you'd like to get baptized, please let me know right after service. So once again, the system was being created where a person could, couldn't really know where they stood with God. And that's something that we all face in our life. Standing in front of, we, we, we all have been in a place where we genuinely wonder, where am I at with God? Where am I at with Jesus? But here is Christianity on the path to becoming another graceless religion. So the church leader sent Barnabas, Paul, and a few others to Jerusalem to get clarification from the apostles. The apostles spent three years with Jesus, so they would know how to deal with the Gentiles. So this takes us to Acts chapter 15. And right here in this scripture, in the beginning of the chapter, Barnabas and Paul were received well and gave an amazing report to how the church was doing, how it was growing. They specifically highlighted the large number of Gentiles embracing the message of Christ. But notice the response when they finished their reporting. Let's go to Acts 15, verse 5. So it says this, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and says, said, It is necessary to circumcise them in order for them to keep the law of Moses. They just couldn't give up the law. Think about how heartbreaking this moment was. They couldn't celebrate people getting saved because they couldn't give up the law. But listen to Peter's response right here. Acts 15, verse 7. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of God, or of the gospel, and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction. Everyone say, no distinction. no distinction. Between us and them, 
having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter is saying you can't even do what you're asking them to do. You're asking them to follow the law. You're asking them to follow the, the law of Moses, all the commandments, boom, 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 boom. You can't even do that. None of us can even do that. That's why Jesus came. But they couldn't see it. Why? They couldn't give up the law. Or let me say it like this. They couldn't give up their rituals. They couldn't give up their routine. Or let me say it like this. They couldn't give up their trust in their routines and rituals. Maybe grace has been hindered in today's church because Christians are refusing to give up their trust in rituals and religious routines. And what's sad is we're trying to get people transformed by our rituals, by our routines. But rituals can't transform people. The grace of God does. Come on. The Spirit of God does. Our rituals, our traditions, the stuff that we love to do, that stuff that, that we don't ever want to let go of, those things won't transform us. God's grace will. So as believers, we need to take a step back and be like, okay, am I getting in the way of the grace of God moving through the local church? Verse 11, as we continue, it's powerful. But we believe that you will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So Peter knew that if you start shaving off layers of grace, it is no longer grace. And if you start adding things to grace, it is no longer grace either. Then James, Jesus' brother, spoke. Now his words carried a lot of weight in Jerusalem. Acts 15, verse 19 says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So it seemed that the religious people always wanted to complicate things. Uh Uh But Jesus came to make things easy. Let me explain. Although the commitment to following Jesus is difficult, the invitation is easy. Following Jesus will cost you, but the invitation is free. Come on. Think about it. We know that the cost of following Jesus is a lot. So we're going to non-believers, and we're starting with that. Yes. Yeah. Saying, man, as soon as you follow Jesus, your life's going to be terrible. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. But he, he loves you. No, when you see how Jesus talked about the power he had through himself, he did it the opposite. What did he do with the woman at the well? Come. Come and drink. Before, come on, thank you, Holy Spirit. Before he even brought up all her husbands, before he brought up her junk, he said, come and drink. What did he do with Nicodemus? Come on. You know a lot about me, but you don't know me. Come and walk with me. Let me show you what it means to be born again. What did he do? Colton, what did he do with the tax collector, with Matthew? He said, follow me. First words he told Matthew was, follow me. Now, after that invitation, you got to make a choice. 
following Jesus, you got to make some hard choices. You got carrying your cross, it's difficult. Sacrificing your flesh every day, it's difficult. But the invitation to the life-transforming, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, that invitation is easy. And we need to stop making it difficult for non-believers to find Jesus. The church should not make it difficult for people who are wanting to turn to God. And shame on us for all those times that we've made it difficult for them to find Jesus. As a pastor, man, this is heartbreaking. In doing this sermon, I had to fall to my knees in repentance and say, God, I'm sorry for getting in the way. And me speaking as a pastor on behalf of any other pastor in this church or who you've walked under, we just want to say we're sorry. We're sorry for getting in the way of Jesus trying to find you. We're sorry for making it difficult for you to find the grace of God. We're far from perfect, and we're going to make mistakes. If this is your first time coming to FFM, you want to make this your church family, we welcome you with open arms. We're excited to walk with you. But just from the jump, let's be honest, we're going to fail you sometimes as leaders. We're going to get it wrong. And that's the battle we face. And that's the battle that every believer faces, is getting in the way between a non-believer and finding Jesus' grace. I'm just grateful, church, that when, when God, he found me, he didn't make it difficult. Come on, somebody. I'm grateful that God didn't make it difficult for me to find his grace, to find his mercy, to find his love. I'm just grateful that he didn't make it difficult for me. So now I want to do the same and not make it difficult. So in this church body right here, FFM, like Don says all the time, I'm not talking to the church down the street. We're talking about our church family. When people walk through those doors, they need to have a clear vision of that cross and this altar. And we can't get in the way. When they walk in here, church, we can't get in the way. They got to see this altar. But what happens, church? We judge them first. We look at them and say, hmm, will they, will they make the cut? Man, they're a little dirty. They're a little stinky. They have a smell coming into this church. Nah, we need to stop with that. We need to get out of the way. Once they come to the altar, once they say, I want to follow Jesus, whatever it takes, I'm ready. Okay, then we start having conversations. But man, when they walk through those doors, all they, the first thing they got to see and the first thing they got to remember is the cross and that there's no sin too dirty for them to find the grace of God. There is no shame too embarrassing to find the grace of God. Jesus is telling them, come and I can be your hope. Come and I can be your satisfaction. Come and I can give you freedom and liberty. Just come. So that's what we got to do. Thank you, Jesus. To close this part of the scripture, what's beautiful about this story is that with everything that the disciples were telling to them, they listened. Because through all of the tensions and everything, they could not deny that God was on the move. They could not deny that lives were being changed and lives were being transformed. 
I'm going to read it real quick, Acts 15, 23 to 29. It says, The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, and to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard the same persons who gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled from sexual morality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. What are they saying? That Gentiles, they could put their faith in the risen Messiah. To lay aside these rules, these rituals that had nothing to do with Jesus' message, they can come. And unfortunately, when we dive into church history, we know that it's not that way. I don't have time to go into it today, but since the disciples, all the way to today, through different centuries, there has been believers who have gotten, gotten in the way of the message of grace, made it complicated, and made salvation's work-based. And it even happens today. And we see a lot of heartbreak happen. We see people run from the church. We see, we see, we see people get church hurt all because something was added to grace. But church, it's not too late to make things right. Until Christ returns, our battle is to always keep the grace of God at the forefront. The church is most appealing when the message of grace is most apparent. I just need to remind my brothers and sisters that church isn't for church people. The church, like God's grace, is for all people. It's for everybody. It's for the sick. It's for the lost. It's for the lonely. And it's for the broken. And Jesus came for all of us and all of them, the dirty outcasts, the unfixables, the incurables, the suicidal. Guys, this is not a country club. This is a house of miracles. This is not a coffee shop. This is a place hosting the, the living water of Jesus. This isn't a, oh, is he cool enough to sit at my lunch table? This is the house of God. And how dare we try to make it a, a place of selling things? This is the house of the Lord. This is where miracles happen. This is where life transformation happens. So I'm going to do my best to get out of the way and let Jesus be Jesus. Let the Spirit be the Spirit. Let the Father be the Father. And I'll be here ready to walk with people, but I'm going to get out of the way and say, Jesus, change their life. Jesus, transform them like you transform me. Don't make it difficult like you didn't make it difficult for me. God is on the move. He's moving in his place. And all we got to do is get out of the way and let Jesus be Jesus. This is a fight worth fighting for, church. This fight about creating church for church people. But the message of grace should be the normal message in every church. We live in a day when we talk about the Great Commission, we preach about it, we sing about it but we refuse to organize the church around the Great Commission and be like, how can we do this practically? 
We talk about grace, we sing about grace, create a grace, but we create a graceless culture where only those who play by our rules feel welcome. But there's a big difference between preaching a message about grace and creating a community of grace. Until Jesus comes back, I'm going to do my best to make that happen. There's going to be a lot of repentance. There's going to be a lot of, dang, Breno, that wasn't good. Ask for forgiveness. It can get messy sometimes. But I'm so grateful that God looks past the messiness and he pours out his grace. We have an assignment, church, as we've been talking about grace. We have an assignment given by God to steward his grace. We've been assigned the task of exposing our neighborhoods, communities, cities, states, and the world to the grace of God. This is our mission. This is our responsibility. There is no plan B. We're here for such a time as this. So let's do what Jesus died to make possible. Let's listen to James' advice to the first century church. Let's quit making it difficult for those who are turning to God. Let's make God's grace accessible to everyone. And after all, it's not your grace, it's not my grace. It's God's grace, and it's for everybody. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me in this place? I'm telling y'all, man, God wants to use you so much. I just feel like I got to encourage somebody. If you knew how much Jesus wants to use you. If you knew how much Jesus wants to use the, the giftings and the little quirky things that you think is weird, God wants to use those things to impact people's lives. He, he, he created all of us different, but he created all of us for the same mission. And that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came from heaven being fully man, fully God. He lived on this earth for 33 years, blameless, no sin. But even with that, he jumped on the cross and bore our sins, the sins that we committed, the sins that we couldn't pay for. He paid the price. He became the Lamb of God, shed his blood for our sin. And the blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary is a blood that is more powerful than than the addiction you're facing. His blood is more powerful than the anger you are battling with right now. His blood is more powerful than the shame, guilt, and embarrassment you place on yourself every single morning. His blood is greater. His blood is more powerful. And he wants to change your life. And if you are in this place, you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus. We want to give that opportunity right now. We want to get out of the way. We want to stop making things complicated and say, just come. Just come and receive his grace.
So everyone, if you can, just close your eyes, bow your head. Let's get out of the way and let's let Jesus be Jesus right now. If you're in this place and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you want to surrender your life completely, completely to Jesus, maybe you've been a part of religion your whole life, but you never really made that commitment to following Jesus and you want to do it right now, we encourage you to, to respond. Whether it's a hand in the air or coming to the altar and wanting to get prayed for, we want you to respond right now and invite Jesus into your heart. And as we make that invitation, I want to make another one for somebody who's been a part of church, but you've just been a part of religion. You know the Bible, but you don't know about the one who wrote the Bible. And maybe, you, maybe you've been running from God, even though you're still showing up. You don't have that intimate relationship with him. If you want to repent and fall to his knees, this altar is open. We which want to encourage you, this altar is open. This place is a place of freedom and life change. So as we jump into this song and worship, if you want to respond in any type of way, please don't wait. Let's do it now. Hallelujah. You're the chain breakers. We want to get out of the way. You're the only one who transforms. Sing it out, we make her. Stop, you 
Come on, sing it out, church. Sing it out. Even when I don't see it, you working. Even when I don't feel it, you working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. We make a waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my Two. 